Great to be with you guys. Almost happy Thanksgiving, right? Coming up on Thursday. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Ephesians 6. We are landing the plane uh, in Ephesians this morning. And you know it's, you know it's a good sign when you're, when you're sad that you're, that you're ending a book. You know what I mean? Um, I've been praying all week that God would just inspire a few more chapters and, uh, in Ephesians, and he hasn't. So we're, we're going to end with chapter 6, where it ends today. Uh, but this has been a sweet study. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you can talk. That's right. Amen. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay to talk in Bergen County. It's okay. Talk during the church service. All right? Um, but yeah, just I was reflecting a lot this week just over this study over the last number of months and uh, just so encouraged by what God's done, the stories I've been hearing, the ways that God has moved in marriages, the way God has moved in hearts, the way that God has moved in communities, the way that God has moved in some of you bringing you to faith in Jesus through the study of this book uh, has been just, just awesome. So we're, we're thankful for all that God has taught us and we pray that these aren't just things that we, we did for eight months together, but that these are things that would carry us in years to come, right? So uh, this isn't something that we just study and we just know of. And to remember that the riches are unsearchable in here, right? So, so please know um, I did not uncover all that there is to uncover in the book of Ephesians. That's your job to continue studying and looking deeper into the places that God might want to reveal more of himself uh, through this book. So let's pray and then we're going to uh, finish up in chapter 6 with uh, words from Paul. So God, thank you that, that you're among us, in us, with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that dwells within us, Lord, that enables us to overcome sin enables us to be bonded together in the, in the bond of peace. God, the very Holy Spirit that guarantees our future hope, uh, we're grateful that we have that, that that's a gift to us. Um, and Father, I pray as we, we end this wonderful time in this book that we would be continually challenged to go back and to look at the earth-shaking, mind-blowing realities that are ours in Christ. And God, how that forms our practice and forms our living. Uh, God, make us mindful of the enemy in the spiritual war this morning. May he have no part in snatching truth from ears that want to hear this morning. May you deafen us to things that aren't of you and, uh, and live in us to things that you want us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 to 24 to officially finish this morning. And um, just by way of kind of recapping um, the book, so to speak, Paul's primary concern that we've said over and over and over in this book is that we would understand who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us in the cross, what he did in eternity past, what he's going to do in eternity future, and what he is doing presently in our life. So this gospel, this refuge, this hope, this salvation that happened in our lives is not just for our past, for our present but also for our future. And what's awesome is Paul is going to land this letter this morning reminding us, kind of undergirding everything that we've learned, everything that he's taught about the new man and woman in Christ, saying that you've got to be marked by prayer in that. Okay, so it's not now, he's, he is aligning it and talking about it within the, the, the realm of the spiritual war and the spiritual realm, but he's also unexhaustively saying, hey, to even continue walking as a new creation in Christ, to understand what it means to walk wisely, to understand what it means to obey your parents and submit to authority and love your marriage and love your spouse and, and to remember these identities, prayer has to mark you, right? Like you can't continue walking as the new man or woman in Christ and have prayer void in your life. And Mike did a great job last week at, at serving us well and sharing with us and talking about praying in the Spirit and the hindrances to prayer and getting practical into how we actually can practically learn to pray and talk to God. And so here we're going to see one last thing that Paul is going to tell us to pray for as we walk as the new man and new woman in Christ. Now, I know that no one in here with any sort of church background is surprised by, none of you are going, wait, you mean I'm supposed to be talking to God? Yeah, you all know that, right? It's just we know that, we're just not any good at it, right? So, so that, that's the challenge. Now, if you think you're really good at it, that's great, but know there are deeper places for you to run. So, so you haven't arrived yet. So if you think, man, my prayer life's great, you know, I pray this amount of time, just pray for God to press into you and give you more time and more days and more hours and more minutes. And if you're someone just starting out, right, just pray that God would give you just a starting point of, man, just five minutes of communing or asking him to teach you. Or we talked last week about asking a brother or sister, how do you pray? What do you do? How do you learn? How do you grow? Let other people encourage you in that way. So we want to grow in this prayer. And just for encouragement, not, not to justify our laziness, but just to encourage you, in the New Testament, right, 
in Romans 15, Paul, I say this a lot, Paul says to labor with him in prayer, right? He says, work out with me in prayer. Now, those are interesting choice of words. I mean, the apostle Paul is telling you prayer is difficult. Okay, now, if we want to look at anyone who has a marked prayer life, we'll probably say, Paul's got it down. And he's going, no, labor with me, work with me. This doesn't just come easy. This is something that's challenging. And so we want to work at prayer together. And I also want to just remind us that no one stumbles into a life of prayer. It's the same thing. I say it a lot. No one stumbles into a life of godliness. So, so the same discipline walk that it takes to know the scriptures, to understand who God is, to understand more of himself, it takes discipline. It takes time. Now, a lot of people think that happens overnight. What you don't see are the decades and decades of that brother or sister walking faithfully, learning how God's wired them, learning how the scriptures work with prayer, learning how the spirit works through them, learning how to understand prayer and the Bible and, and who Jesus is and who they are in Christ. Christ. I say all the time, if you had met me when I was 21, I'm nowhere near who I am today. Just God's patient, consistent growth in me, and I've got a long way to go. But the Mike Reed standing before you isn't the Mike Reed that just happened overnight. I didn't have any dreams for ministry, dreams to be a pastor, right? God did that in his kindness, in his grace, and over time continues to grow me. And so understand, these are ways that we grow in prayer. And so last week, Michael, and I'm going to call him Michael because some of you guys, that's the distinction, okay? He's from now on Michael McKinney, okay? I'm Mike. I'm the only Mike in here, okay? Because, because here, here's what happens. I get these emails that are like, yeah, it's so weird that you talked in the third person during your sermons online. Like, that wasn't me. He was referring to me, and that was a different Mike preaching, okay? So that's why online, you'll see Michael McKinney. Are we clear on that? I don't, I don't want one more email talking how I talk in the third person about myself in past sermons, Okay? you imagine? Man, this guy's so weird. I mean, he's like talking about Mike last week, talking about this. He, that's him. So, Michael last week served us well in walking us through some hindrances, praying for the saints, praying for the people of God. He talked about, hey, pray for stamina for one another. Pray for courage for one another. Pray for unity for one another. Those are necessary, beautiful, important things. And Paul this morning is going to turn our eyes towards one final thing to pray for. For the sake of context, we're going to read 18 and 19 together. So here's what Paul says. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Okay, so just real quick, he says the Christian's prayer life is done in the Spirit. So understand, right away, that, that distinctly sets us apart from all other belief systems in prayer. Okay, every other belief system doesn't pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Only the redeemed people of God are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So they may pray based upon wishful thinking. They may pray based upon Satan and demons. They may worship another God, another deity that doesn't have access like we have in Jesus as our advocate to the Father. So we alone are set apart in that we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So right out of the gate, he's showing you that this prayer is different. We've got access to the true God. And I want to mention something here in regards to this prayer. Paul is connecting this prayer directly to the spiritual war. That's where it lands in the text, right? So a main reason I think we lack prayerfulness is because we're completely unaware of the battle, right? I mean, I mean Paul's, Paul's getting at here, if you don't believe, I mean, take marriage, for example, okay? One of the most beautiful institutions God has made to demonstrate and show his covenant-keeping love for his bride, which is the church. If that's one of the foundational, beautiful things that God has instituted, do you not think the enemy and his adversaries hate your marriage? Do you not think he's going to want to get in your marriage and cause division or divorce or separation? I mean, do you, you not think that that's, that's a primary target for him? So, so when you all of a sudden realize there's imminent danger and imminent warfare, what happens? You're on your knees a lot more, right? Because you realize, oh, my marriage isn't something I just coast through, said my vows, and I'm good. No, it's something that I, that I actually get on my knees and plead with God to protect. 
Because all of a sudden, I mean, think about it. It's, it's, it's amazing because so many of us think we're in peacetime. <laughs> right? You think, oh, well, it's peacetime. No, no, peacetime is when there's no war happening. Right? We've talked about how when we wake up, we fix our eyes on the reality that there is a war happening regularly. So those, those precious children who are over in Afghanistan or the Middle East who are behind, I have machine guns on mountaintops, do you not think their parents are praying daily for them? Why? Because they're aware of the war that their kids are in and the imminent danger and the imminent conflict. And so all of a sudden, you bet, they're running into their prayer closet and begging God for protection for them. And so much of our prayerlessness is just simply based on just an unawareness or forgetfulness or naivety to what's really happening. You realize right now, Satan wants to snatch truth from your mind. Right now. Every time you sit under the preaching of God's word, I don't think that's really true. Ah, God doesn't really love me that way. Oh, I, really, I, I really am guilty. The cross really didn't forgive me, right? Just, just as you're sitting here, you're battling thoughts right now. As you're hearing truth, right? There, there, there's a war happening in this very room. We must be aware of this. And, and I think this is one of the main reasons we lack prayerfulness. So when you start viewing the world, your life through that lens, all of a sudden you're led to run into your children's room and kneel beside their bed and cry out to God. All of a sudden you're, you're led to grab your wife or grab your husband and just intercede to God and pray. God, protect us. Give us unity. Give us love. Protect my spouse from deception and lies of the truth. God, protect my children from things that are, that are wrong or errant thinking or, or the culture that wants to sweep them away or the enemy that wants his soul. Right? All of a sudden, your, your prayer life starts to be bolstered simply because you're aware of what's going on. I mean, I, I think that's the majority of the issue. Look, I think we can grow in disciplines and grow in understandings and grow in what it looks like to pray, but if you're doing all that void of this reality, your prayer life will never grow. Because you'll just be saying things because you think they're a good idea. Not because it's actually necessary and important based upon the war that we are in. And so here Paul reminds us that it's not peacetime, but it's war time. And so I want to mention one other thing before we look at what he tells us to pray for. I think most of us buy the illusion that we can control our circumstances and environment. There's an illusion to control that we live in. And so, so here's kind of how that, that works out. And, and understand, the world around you and culture just bolsters that confidence in you. Because, because here's what happens. You pick up any book, okay, but on any topic, here's probably what you'll get. If you do these things, this will happen. You'll get this result, right? So, so it doesn't matter. Put it to marriage, put it to health, put it to anything. So if you do these things, do these five steps, then you'll get the desired result you want. Right? And so what happens is it, it, it floods into marriage, and so we think, okay, well, if I do these things for my spouse, then I'll get the spouse I want. Okay, understand, that's, that's foolishness. If you fall into that trap in your marriage, your marriage will deteriorate. Because what that is is not gospel sincerity and love for your spouse regardless of them. That's manipulation motivated by your selfish idolatry that says, I just want what I want when I deserve it. And so what happens is all of a sudden, your marriage is being led by the law and not grace. So your whole marriage is driven by the law and it's not driven by, no, you love your spouse regardless of your spouse. Because Christ loved you regardless of you. So you don't, you don't love your husband so all of a sudden he respects you. You don't respect your husband so all of a sudden he'll love you. You don't fill his love tank so then he fills your love tank. Right, no, you love, pursue, encourage your spouse regardless of how they respond, regardless of how they act, why? Because grace drives your marriage. Grace drives your prayer life, grace drives your love life, grace drives your, your family life, grace drives your church life. So all of a sudden you don't start loving brothers and sisters in this faith family based on what they give you. Oh man, well I tried to reach out to them and they just, you know, well, okay. What does the gospel say about that? You relentlessly pursue them. You stay patient, you bear with, you endure. You don't run away, right? It's hard. The, the, this is not an easy thing, but this is what, this is what, what Paul is showing us is because I think a lot of us 
lack prayerfulness because we think we can control our environment. And so, understand, number one, that doesn't mean you don't make wise choices. (laughs) You making wise choices isn't controlling your environment. It's you making wise choices. (laughs) But the end is still in the hands of the sovereign God and the Spirit of God. But you make wise choices, right? This is why prayer does two things. It shows the complete sufficiency of God and the complete, utter helplessness of man and your desperate need for his sufficiency. That's what prayer does. You realize, I have no control over this. I mean, I can make wise choices. I can try to organize. I can try to make things happen. At the end of the day, like, it's up to him. So all of a sudden, you're on your knees going, God, I need you to show up because you are infinitely and gloriously wealthy. You have all things at your disposal, and I can't do anything whenever I want, so I need to go to you, appeal to you, talk to you, saying, I need you to show up because you're the all-sufficient one. I'm the utterly helpless one. Do you believe that about yourself right now? Is that true or not? The enemy would love to get in and say, no, 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 you're really sufficient. You're really self-sufficient. You don't need a, a God to dictate or help or encourage or provide. You be your own God, right? It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit. It's not true. You desperately need him. Now, you can acknowledge it or not, but that doesn't change the truth of it. And you can walk around trying to sin manage your life and just organize everything. And it's just a a vain, tiresome, weary walk. And so God wants us to understand that. So as he says this, understand prayer, Paul is undergirding this, reminding us that if, if, if you want to be protected from the enemy... You can't do that on you. You need a sufficient one to protect you. And the same thing for this in verse 19. He's going to end using an illustration. He doesn't leave us in the dark on what to pray for. Look at verse 19. He says this, pray also for me. Okay, well, how should we pray for you, Paul? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, this is a little interesting. The first thing Paul says is pray for me. Meaning Paul. Now now here's what a lot of people do. They go, why do I need to pray for Paul? I don't need to pray for Paul. I don't need to pray for preachers. I need to pray for people on the periphery, right? I mean, they've got it all figured out. Paul's showing us something beautiful here. He's saying, the first thing is pray for me. I'm the illustration. Don't pray for my physical needs. Pray for my warfare. Pray for my boldness. Pray for my courage. You see what he's showing you here? He's he's praying that God would allow me to be bold, straightforward, have the words to say in the battle. He's not asking for physical needs. He's asking for courage. He's asking for stamina. Now, the warfare was there, man. Paul was like nose to nose with warfare. I mean, listen, ambassadors, okay, diplomatically had immunity. Okay, not this guy. He was an ambassador in chains, he says. He's in a Roman prison. And he's sitting here saying, man, pray that God would give me utterance. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing grip. Sometimes I'm distraught. Sometimes I'm discouraged. Paul needed prayer. So let me ride his coattails for one second. Pray for me. Pray for me. Like, like, like. Pray that God keeps me rooted. Like if you think that I like get up here and it's like easy and I just like have floaty thoughts every week that just kind of fill my mind. I, no, I mean the labor in it, the, the loving the body, the caring for, the counseling, the building up. The, I mean pray that, that Satan has no place in my heart. I mean listen, I, th- this is a danger. We think, oh well man, they all got it together. Mike's good. Future elders will be good. Deacons will be good. Leaders of community groups are good. Man, we need to pray for the other people in the periphery. Yes, we do. But man, Paul was getting at something deeper. He knows when the lead guy goes, a lot go with him. So he's saying, man, pray for the preacher. Man, pray that God would uphold them. Pray that God would keep them strong. Pray that he would give them courage. Man, pray that in 10 years from now, it's the same gospel being preached to Cap. I can't guarantee that. He can. 
despite me. I mean, because, brothers and sisters, do you realize I need the same gospel you do? Like, do you know I need the same care you do? Do you need I need the same vibrant prayers going and interceding for me that I do for you? So Paul is showing, pray for me. Pray for the preachers. Paul was knowledgeable about the fact that the rest were usually as strong as their leader was. There was a pattern that was set. Not that the leader or the pastor is their God or their goal, but the one that God has sovereignly put there to lead and shepherd the body. So he's saying, pray for me. Pray for boldness. Pray for encouragement. This is really cool. You know, he, he talks about this boldness in speaking. It's, it's this idea that as you pray for boldness in Paul, that others are affected and grown by that boldness. So if you read the letter to the Philippians, he actually talks about how, hey, your prayers and the boldness they've seen in me in prison has given them greater boldness. Do you see that just overflows and trickles down? So, okay, you pray for your pastors and leaders. You pray for them to have boldness and courage and godliness and, and firm walking and rootedness, and then that affects other people. That, that causes more boldness and more growth and more firmness. It's an amazing thing that we see. The second thing Paul says is to pray the mystery of the gospel would be made known. So first, pray for the preachers. Pray for a pastor. Pray for Paul that he be bold. And he says, pray that this mystery would be made known. So here he links prayer to what he talked about in specifically chapters 1 and 2. When we started the book out of the gate, Paul unveiled our eyes to this incredible mystery. That this sovereign God before eternity started when he always was. He was this infinitely living being, set his affections upon us, that he chose us and loved us and redeemed us and saved us and sealed us, brought us into a family. We learned the details of that conversion. We were dead. Now we're made alive. Then we learned that it's not just an exclusive community, but an inclusive community where, wait, it's no longer just Jew. It's Jew and Gentile. Well, you, you mean all nations, all tribes, all tongues? God's, God's forming a people? And so he shows us that it's this idea of this, this mystery, how it's not just an Israel thing. So, so what, did, what was this mystery, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, you have a guy named Abram. And what does God say to Abram? He says, hey, I'm going to, through your descendants, through your line, form a people that are going to worship my name. And then we see later, he's changed to Abraham, which just shows the plurality of descendants. And so this goes on all the way down. You can follow it down to Egypt, where God's people get too big. Egypt doesn't like it, so they put them all in slavery. And then God comes to Moses. And he says, hey, Moses, you're going to deliver my people. Right? So Moses comes, delivers his people, and then they're headed to the promised land, but don't get into the promised land because they're disobedient. And then what does God say? He hears a law. Okay, but here's the thing. You're going to break the law. You're going to break it over and over and over. Now, understand, we think of the law as cruel and begrudging, but they saw it as an act of grace. They saw it as an act of freedom. What, you're bringing us into parameters that are good for us, that are healthy, that will protect us as a people that you've chosen? And so, and so in this, they say, okay, well, um, you're going to need blood sacrifices because you're going to mess up over and over and over again. So they show them the sacrificial system. They say, hey, here's the sacrificial system. You're going to need the blood of goats, blood of bulls. They do this whole thing. And then what happens is God will dwell in this thing called the tabernacle. Kind of weird, but his presence was there. And it was carried along with the people of God. And this happens through history. And then what happens is God sends prophets. And they tell everyone over and over and over, hey, you need, this is what's coming. This is not over and over. If you read the Old Testament, it's not just an Israel thing. There's this, there's, this, there's this imagery, there's kind of this unveiling of at one day it's going to be all tribes, all people, the glory of God's going to cover the world like the waters cover the sea in Habakkuk, right? And so what happens is we see that Jesus comes. This place where the tabernacle dwells, where God is with his people because here's the thing. As this message continues, it's continuously a mystery because everyone's thinking, well, hold on. If God's presence is here dwelling with us and all tribes and all tongues are going to be rescued into this family, then, then how's that going to work? I mean, are we going to, like, put the tabernacle on loan? Like, are we going to ship it up to the U.S. for two months? Okay, you get God now. You get the presence of God. And then, okay, let's do, send it over to Asia. Now, you get the presence of God for two months. And let's send it over to Australia. You get the presence of God for two months. 
What happens is it's a mystery till Christ comes. He lives the fullness of the law. He dies, resurrects, sends us the promised Holy Spirit, seals men and women, and all of a sudden we become his temple. The mystery's solved. Right? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So all of a sudden, you don't need a roaming tabernacle anymore. You don't need all the shedding of blood over and over because the perfect lamb came and died once for all, right? His sacrifice, his bloodshed, once for all, forgiveness of sin. We're all welcomed to this new temple. Christ is here, the hope of glory. He resides in you, so now the mystery is fulfilled. And so Paul's saying, okay, hold on. This mystery that that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ solved the sacrificial system, that he solved the penalty needed for sin, that he took on the wrath of God, that he paid the debt for sin, that he lived your life for you, that he rose again, defeating Satan and sin, you're resurrected with him. Man, I need to tell people this mystery. I need to tell people about this gospel. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. Here it is. We are the dwelling place of the living God now. The mystery's been solved. So if you look at Acts, what happens? I mean, the church starts to grow. Peter gets up and preaches this mystery. And 3,000 come to Christ, but they're still all Jews. Right? Still a Jewish thing. So that the fullness of the mystery isn't, isn't all, coming all realized yet. And what happens? You, you get that all the way to chapter 10, then you meet your first Gentile, Cornelius, Right? Peter gets a vision, says, hey, i got to go to this guy's house. He goes to this guy's house. Now, Cornelius, he loves the Old Testament, but he doesn't want to be circumcised. He's like, I'm a grown man. You're not going to do that to me. You don't, need to t- you don't need to touch me, right? He doesn't want to abide to the dietary laws of the Jews, right? So what happens? I mean, Paul just starts, Peter just starts unpacking the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius. And what happens? He trusts Jesus. So Peter's like, Oh my gosh, right? And then, then I love it. Acts 15, right? The whole council gets together. Hey, I don't know, man. Did that, did that really happen? Peter's like, yeah, I was there. I saw it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they debate whether God can do that. Common church politics, right? Can God do that? Can he save that guy? Yeah, he can. I watched it. I saw it. He did it. So all of a sudden, you see this amazing reality unfolding where then what happens? Paul gets cat- is just a catalyst on these missionary journeys where the gospel's coming to the end of the earth, and here you and I are. <laughs> because the mystery was revealed. Because someone told you the mystery of Jesus Christ. That there was forgiveness offered for your sins. So it's good for us to remember right now there are people in India, in Africa, in Burma, in Sudan, in South America, worshiping Jesus, being baptized, and making disciples. The God of the universe is doing the very thing he promised he would do in Genesis 12. These descendants are going to spread so far you can't number them. They're not just going to be only to ethnic Israel. It's going to be opened up to the world, the nations. So here Paul is ending his letter and he's saying, as you pray, as you realize your utter helplessness of yourself and the utter sufficiency of God, proclaim this. As it depends on God, not on you. Right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is why I'm driven to pray for so many of you when I meet with you. Because I realize that I can't do anything. Like, 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 I realize, okay, I can, I can offer you some encouraging words. I can help encourage you. I can counsel you to a degree. But I need God to show up. Like, so, so you bet what drives me to pray for you is, that, man, also that I realize that, man, there's an enemy after your soul. And I'm like, man, I can't get in there. I can be in their house 24-7. I can't be in their marriage. I can't be everywhere. So, God, you're going to have to show up. You're totally sufficient. I'm utterly helpless. It just drives you to pray. Same thing with proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. You realize that you can't save anybody. Like, your cute words aren't going to revive someone from death. God's going to have to show up as you're faithful, as you're obedient, and raise them to life. And praise God, we have that hope, right? That God would use our frail, finite, imperfect words that are jumbled mess sometimes to save sinners? What? There are times where, like, I, I mean, we used to do, like, this evangelism stuff when I was in my old church and go out on the streets and door to door, and I'd see someone trust Christ. But like, hold on a second, man, I didn't even, like, tell the gospel to you. Like, that was, like... A train wreck. And somehow God in his mercy let them understand who Jesus was. 
understood the need for forgiveness of sin. So Paul is showing, pray that a door might be open to proclaim this mystery. So we pray for our pastors, we pray for ministries, we pray for through our community groups. We pray that God's work at church at Bergen, for God's work globally, this beautiful, glorious mystery might be revealed to more. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for that? When was the last time you prayed that the mystery of Christ would be made known to more and more and more? Through this church, through God's universal church, through you and your family. When was the last time you, you asked God for that? I think, I, think, I think Cab can grow in this area. I think God is kindling in us a love for prayer. I mean, corporate prayer is blowing my mind. Put it not in this morning. We had more people, I think, than we've had in a long time. And, and just seeing people, God kindling a desire to pray together. Because when a church is marked by this type of prayer and God shows up and does things that surpasses our minds and understanding, he gets more glory for it. And here's the thing, guys. God has done amazing things here. God, God has saved some of you who are here. God has redeemed marriages in this room. God has delivered some of you from addiction. God has been reconciling relationships. God has been destroying lofty arguments against the knowledge of God. God is doing amazing things. But here's the thing. There's more to be had. There are deeper waters to swim in. Like, like we haven't even touched the surface. Like God wants that. So yeah, yeah, keep asking. I want to show up. I want to blow your mind. I want to destroy your unbelief. Sometimes there's a long seasons of pleading and asking, but he answers in the ways that are perfect good according to his will. So we want to see God do more. Now notice he asks for one more thing that I want to end on and camp out just for a second here. He says, as he as you pray for him, and as he communicates this mystery, pray for boldness. Pray that I'd speak boldly. He says, as I ought to speak, right? As I communicate this mystery, give me boldness. As I'm totally dependent on the sufficiency of God and realize my helplessness, give me boldness. I want to note something because I think it's really important. You can be really bold in proclaiming this mystery and be a total arrogant jerk. It's really important to understand if you look at Paul's life, what made him bold? Like what was the root of his boldness? Anyone know what it was? Love. Utter helplessness. Seeing people perishing apart from Christ. He was driven by love. You could look at a, a lot of texts, but Paul was compelled by love. Just 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us, compels me. Romans 9, 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself would be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I mean, I mean, hold on, Paul was driven so much, he said, man, I would give up my salvation if just some would be welcomed into the fold of God. What? I mean, that, that's why my prayer, as we pray for boldness, that you pray right alongside your boldness, deeper love for people. Because otherwise, you're just going to become a megaphone that lacks sincerity and genuineness. Right? You got all your spiritual laws ready. Now, listen, all that stuff is, I'm a theology guy. Like, I, I am all for understanding how to defend your faith. I'm not negating that at all. You got to be ready to have a hope and an answer for the hope that's within you. Listen, I get it. You got to be ready to share with and articulate what the gospel is and explain to people how that is not true and how this is true. You'll grow in grace in that. But if you don't get anything else, man, so many times you're talking to someone and they just want you to listen to them and you're shoving spiritual laws down their throat. Look, I, I haven't even kind of let you know where I'm at. And Paul would do that, right? First Corinthians 9, I became all things to all men, by so that all possible means I might save some. He would listen to cultures. He would listen to how they were. He would listen to where their heart was and learn how to navigate those waters and share with them. Right? I mean, this, this is something that I, I just think is missing because so many times you'll hear a message, you'll be like, all right, Mike, i got to pray for boldness. And you'll leave and just try harder. 
You should try to muster up boldness, right? And you think that means just being forthright and loud. But guys, if we do that, then we just leave this place and just do evangelism, right? Not compelled and motivated by love for people, but just because out of duty, right? So let's just do community because we have to. Let's just do evangelism because we have to. No, we do it because you're so compelled by this mystery that was shown to you. You're so gripped and burdened by the people that are lost and perishing that you can't help but open your mouth. I mean, even if you don't have a speech plan, right? You're like, I don't even have a speech plan. It just, it just bugs you inside, Right In your gut, it just, it just burns you that people might not know Jesus. So sometimes it might just mean, look, I know I'm just a confused mess right now. Listen, God's just so good to me and this mystery was made known and I thought I could forgive myself and achieve all these things and God showed up and I worship myself. I, I thought I was my own God and man, he's the best God. He's a treasure. I want you to know this treasure. I mean, I don't even know all the answers to why the Bible's there and I don't even know why all the books are in there. But look, all I know is I've been transformed. All I know is I have a Holy Spirit that lives within me. All I know is I desire new things now and I hate the old things and I, I just, I want to live a holy life and not be, I don't know, right? And, and what are they going to do? They might be like, dude, you're crazy, but you really care about what you're saying right now. Like, I might totally disagree with everything that just came out of your mouth and maybe not even understand it all, but you actually care about me. Like, you, wait, you actually want to talk about it? Because listen, you know people know right away if you're doing something because you have to do it, or your religion's forcing you to do it, and when you're doing it because there's just this deep, unceasing burden in you to say, I just want you to know this mystery. It's a mystery. It's crazy that God would send his son, that he would become a man, that he would walk this life, that he would incarnate himself, that he would take on. He didn't have to, right? Do something that, that I don't deserve. He'd do it anyways. That's a mystery to me. Why would he do that? They would offer forgiveness for sins. So, so understand, I think we have to be careful because if we hear messages like this, Paul is, I believe, if I, if I was in Paul's shoes, he's writing this, he's equating sincerity and genuineness with his boldness. God, give me boldness that is continually compelled by love, that's compelled by the love of Christ. I mean, you see that in Paul's life. And yes, he was fierce. Yes, he would share truth unashamedly. But I, just looking at his life, have to see that when people saw that there was this, he says it in unceasing anguish. That, that's, that's, only the Spirit of God can give you that. And so may people say, wow, I see in your boldness, in your tenacious love to share this mystery that you care about who you're talking to. Do you do that? You know, in your office, or in your sphere of influence, or you just opportunities are bubbling up, man. Is your first thought just the spiritual law you can give them? Or is it, hey, just, just, just ask them their name. Tell me about your family. What bothers you? What's your view of God? Like, like talk to me. I'm a, I want to shut up for a while. How about that for Christians, right? Uh, we should shut up, right? Just, just. Talk to me, and then, and then appropriately open your mouth, right? And respond in grace, in truth, in firmness, in all of those things. But so that people see, wow, you really want me not to be in hell. Like, you, and here's the other thing, guys. You got to see this link with the spiritual battle. Okay, because this grows immense compassion for you as you share this mystery with unbelievers. Because you realize there's an enemy that wants their soul. Well, like, can you really expect them to act any differently? There's nothing in them that will, apart from being given the mind of Christ. So, so as you talk to them, as you engage with them, remember they're captives. Remember we said, man, that, that we're delivered from the domain of darkness into marvelous light. So man, when I can think about that more, hold on, it's not just about this guy that's frustrating me because I can't answer his questions. It's a guy who is literally a captive to Satan right now. And oh my gosh, I want him to be brought out of that. Oh man, I don't want him to live in that bondage. I don't want to live in that slavery. I I honestly, thinking about the spiritual war gives you great compassion in your evangelism. Because you realize they're captives. Don't take it personally. They don't know any other way to act. 
And the one who right now is the king of their heart, the Bible says, is out to destroy, dismantle, kill, and wither their soul. Oh, man, that doesn't drive you to deeper love for them and take you away from these other things that you're thinking about. And you looking good and you having a conversion list and how many people you led to Christ. Just care about that one. Start there. Don't just, oh, well, he didn't, he didn't pray, so I'm going to move on. That. Ask God for love. I, I need help with this. People are frustrating, right? They're hard. They're annoying. The unbelievers hate the things of God because that's how they're wired. So even these conversations are difficult. They take wisdom. They take prayer. God, help me to be bold in this, in this conversation, but help me to be bold and winsome in it and graceful and loving. Help me to ask questions. Boldness for the truth. You never shy away from the truth. You share exactly what the truth says. And communicate in a way that shows that you deeply care. And the point I want you to see here is Paul is saying he wanted them to pray for the spiritual battle to be won. That he wouldn't lose the courage and boldness. Now you say, well, you know, I'd like to pray for other people, but I don't have any information about them. I'd love to pray for Paul. That's why he sends Tychicus. Look at verse 21. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So Paul's even saying, as I'm asking for prayer, I don't want you to just pray unintelligently. I'm going to tell you how to pray for me. I'm going to let you know how I'm doing. I'm going to send my good friend. Tychicus was a dear friend. He actually delivered this letter to the Ephesians. He brings word about Paul a few other places. They're worried and concerned about him, and so they didn't know what was going on in his life. They didn't know how prison was. They didn't know how his heart was. They wanted to hear. So Paul says, I'm sending him to you so he can give you all this information so you can pray intelligently. Okay, here's my question. Do you tell people how to pray for you? And I'm not talking about health and happy children. Do you let them know the deep parts of your soul that you need prayer for? Like, like when, when people say, how can I pray for you, do you in your pride and arrogance? Life's pretty good, just pray, I don't know, pray, have a good week. Okay, cool. Yeah, we, should all have, we all should pray, we have a good week. But are there deeper parts of your soul that are being torn up or bothered or... Do you tell them? Because Paul is showing, I want to let people, when I say pray for me, when I ask people to pray, I want to then give them intelligent things to pray about me for. So he's letting them know information about him. And clearly it's, it's humbling that Paul is saying, hey, give me, give me boldness, man. I'm struggling. Now, that's what Paul would say? He said it. That Paul would say, man, I'm, I'm losing heart in the fight. And pray for courage. Pray that you, God would give me utterance. Man, that, that's powerful. Do you, do you ask people how to pray for you and the deep parts of who you are? Verse 22, he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He's going to tell you how I'm doing. He's going to tell you where the battle lies in my heart, in my soul. He's going to tell you where I'm struggling in the spiritual war. Okay, and all of us are different, right? That's why I love the body of Christ. We're all so different. We all struggle and excel in different places. Other things might absolutely kill our soul that just, for other people, like, man, that just doesn't bother me. That's just not a place that I struggle. Other people might just excel in lanes where other people are like, man, that's just hard for me to excel there. That's, that's why you're with each other. So you can rub shoulders with people that aren't just like you that can encourage you in that way. Friends, if we're gonna pray, let's pray about spiritual things. That's what he's saying. Let's pray about the parts of this war that bother us or grip us. Let's open up our lives to each other so you have something to pray about. And look, I know that can take time, okay? In your community group, some of you guys are just getting to know people. Some of you guys are still trying to get connected. I know that takes time. But here's my thing. I don't really get that whole, well, I'm struggling in my marriage, so I just don't want to tell people. But you're struggling in your marriage. So how are you going to get prayer? Now listen, it's on us to not be like, wow, they're struggling in their marriage? Man, wow, they're like so far back in JV. Like, how sinful are you? How wicked are you? 
to have that thought when they tried to share a way you could pray for them. So, so part of it is, is all of us growing in greater humility, greater grace, and greater honesty. But, but I truly believe as we begin to pray like this and communicate and carry burdens, what a lesson on prayer. That the climax of this letter is this is how the body will be built up. That was Paul's linchpin in the middle of the book, right? We want to see the body of Christ built up and formed more into the knowledge of God. This is one of the primary ways that happens is it builds up the body of Christ so that he'll be glorified and we will have greater joy. I think, too, that as we live this kind of life in prayers for one another, in prayers to be bold with our faith, in prayers to love the lost, in prayers to grow in courage, in prayers to be aware of the spiritual war that's happening, in prayers to be honest about us praying for our own hearts, you become more fitted into the image of Jesus by doing that, which is Paul's goal from verse 1. Know who you are in Christ, and I want that image in Christ to continuously happen until you reach future glory. That's why Paul closes with a benediction that I don't have anything to add to. He says this, Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's Ephesians. Here's what I want us to do, okay? I want us to take a minute here, okay? We're going to pray silently. For some of these things, for the people right next to you. I don't care if you don't know them. God knows who, what their name is. God knows who you're praying for. Okay? And I want us to just, just take some moments before we observe the Lord's Supper and respond in worship. Asking God to help us as a faith family in some of these things. God, we're grateful that you're the king. We're grateful that you're the sovereign one. We're grateful that Ephesians shows us who we are in Christ and that we are able to live more like the image of Jesus because of the spirit that is within us. God, we're thankful that you have saved us, you've sealed us, you've redeemed us, you've made us alive when we were dead. That God, you showed us the details of that. We're thankful that the angels rejoice in heaven as they see your church being formed. We're thankful that this is not just for Jew but for Gentile, for the nations, for the tribes, for the tongues of all peoples. We're thankful that you show us how to reject the residual effects of the fall and walk in holiness. You give us wisdom in walking with outsiders and give us wisdom in the marriage relationship and in our workplace and in our children and that, God, you give us awareness of the spiritual battle that is happening. God, I pray you'd hear these prayers as we pray that you would respond in surprising ways. Why don't you take a second and pray for the person next to you and pray, number one, that God would give them greater love for people far from God. Take a minute and just pray that for them. That he would give them a deep bother that their neighbors that they live next to do not know Jesus. That the people that they work with do not know Jesus. Second, pray that that brother or sister would be given sincere, genuine boldness in proclaiming this mystery of Christ, that God would put opportunities in their path to do that.
Lastly, pray that brother or sister near you would have a heart cultivated to be honest about how they need prayer. (laughs) That they would love sharing where they're weak, knowing there's a faith family that loves to hear the ways they can pray for their weakness. And pray for this church that God would give us humble hearts, a community of people that love walking in grace, that love speaking the truth in love, as Paul said in chapter 4. Father, thank you for prayer. Thank you that it is a gift from you and we don't deserve to communicate with you. God, I pray for the pastors in New Jersey specifically, brothers that are faithfully preaching right now your word. God, we think of Pastor Fred at Cornerstone, Pastor John at Hawthorne Gospel, Pastor Ryan at Emergence, Pastor Jeremy at Restore, Pastor Reed at Jacob's Well, Pastor Rob at The Plant, Pastor Simon and Paramus, and many, Pastor Juan in Fort Lee, many men, God, that need prayer. God, I pray that you give them courage, stamina, boldness, clarity, wisdom, rootedness, comfort. God, I pray you would give church at Bergen more doors to be open to proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would form a people here that love sharing where, they, where they're weak and where they fail, knowing that the gospel meets them in that place that empowers them to not stay there, but to grow in godliness and to grow in Christ-likeness. God, we pray that all the rich insurmountable truths that we have talked about in Ephesians, that you would keep them in our hearts, that God, we would continue to study and look at and marvel over. Um, Father, thank you for this study. We pray it would cause fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name, amen.